Welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church Podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Good morning. If I've never met you before, my name is Josh De La Rosa and I'm the senior pastor here at OCC. Today we're beginning this new series of messages called Lives and Letters. And a, a letter, specifically a timely letter, it, it makes a, a huge difference in our life. When you, when you want to communicate in a way that will really be remembered, you, you write it down. Or you take the, the time to, to think through what you're saying. Maybe you'll type it out and you'll send it off. But you, uh, you, you write it out, you write out your thoughts in a letter. Sometimes handwritten cards or notes or, or letters are some of the most really the most powerful ways that we can communicate. And sometimes they arrive in the mailbox at just the perfect time, right when you needed to be encouraged, right when you're struggling through some things. Sometimes a a personal letter comes and you're just like, ah, I really, really needed to hear that. It's those kinds of letters that, that you hang on to. I mean, you can't keep all the cards and letters that you've received in your lifetime. Imagine if you try to keep all your birthday cards and every every Christmas card and everything. You just have a stack. Of, as you get older, it would be, how do you keep track of all? You don't probably don't do that. But you probably hang on to a few and toss those into a drawer or into a box and say, that's a keeper. I want to I want to go back to that one because I know I'm going to need to hear that again, or I know I'm going to need that boost or that reminder, because certain letters, they, they really uh, speak uh, just very, very pointedly into our lives. I brought, I brought a few of those uh, in of my own letters that I've received. Uh, one was, I, I went through, I have this box that my parents said, hey, we've gathered all your stuff. This was like many years ago, this is probably... 20 years ago, they're like, we've got, we cleaned up your room and, and here, here's a box. This is yours. It's your sort of a, this is your, you know, I don't know what, what they called it, but it was a shoe box. And it's like, it has sort of your, your notes and letters through the years, things that you held on to. And then through the years, I would add to that. If I had ever got anything really meaningful, I, I'd put it in that box. And so I have a letter here from, it's an old letter. It's from 1998. And, uh, the, the sticker with the, sender it had a little smiley face and it has the person's name attached to it so they had that you know those made for them it says miss erica s velarde and that's my wife that's her maiden name and so miss erica s velarde 4181 monet circle san jose california and then she wrote smile god loves you so and it was written to me 1998 we were dating at this point about eight months we were dating for about eight months, and I was a youth pastor in Southern California, and she was working in San Jose at that time, and, and we had this long-distance summer relationship just before we got engaged, and, and it's, I mean, it's, it's pretty juicy, just want you to know. <laughs> I mean, it's, I, <laughs> my daughter tried to, tried to read it, it was funny. And it's totally appropriate. I just want you all to know. But it's, you know, it's, it's three pages, double-sided. And, and, my, and Erica took the time over several conversations, over several days, to write this longer letter to me. But it was over several days. And it, it just highlighted different things. And we were missing each other. You know, we were long distance. And so it was fun. I, I enjoyed reading that letter. And it's, it was one of those that, that I kept in that box. And uh, a couple years ago, my wife... Uh, had this book put together for me on my 40th birthday, and it just—it's encouraging letters that people wrote for my 40th birthday. My my wife and, and my my three children, and then my mentor, and just different people who've, who've invested in my life, and then a lot of friends and dear you know dear friends and family. Uh, some of you you know, took the time to encourage me on my 40th birthday, and and she took all those and put a lot of pictures and and put it in this book, and and uh, I keep this beside my bed and. Uh, it's been the last couple of years. There's points where I, I'll, you know, I'll just happen to glance and I'll be like, oh, and I'll dust it off and and I, I'll be encouraged because again, a letter, it, it, it they're just thoughtful and and even just over the weekend when I was reading through some things, it just it it encouraged me and that that's what letters do. They they just have an impact. Uh, sometimes letters are meant to evoke change. Sometimes they're they're meant to encourage or or to remind, 
Here's a picture of, of a famous letter from Martin Luther King Jr. written from jail in Birmingham, Alabama. And he's, he's writing this letter to says, my dear fellow clergyman, and he's, he is, he's encouraging people in, to do the right thing. Essentially, here's why I'm taking a stand. But in the middle of the letter, you're not going to see it up here on the screen, but later down, later down on the page it reads, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And people needed to hear his words. I mean, he brought his, his, speeches and letters, they brought real change. If, if you do some research, you could dig up all sorts of famous letters like this from different people, but pivotal letters where they, they were sent for a purpose and they just came at just the right time and they made a huge difference in society. That's, that's the power of a letter. With this series of messages, we're going to dig into letters found in the Bible. Uh, it's going to feel somewhat like a classroom experience, I think, for us at times through this series, and and that'll be that'll that'll make it just different, and, and I think we'll enjoy it. The Bible itself is is a collection of of books, sixty six books, some of which are letters. There's different types of literature in the Bible, different genres, types of literature, uh, but this is a collection of a unified collection of sixty six books. Okay. And in regards to the whole Bible, and you can, we, we have a listening guy that's inside of the program, so you can take this out and fill in some blanks if you'd like to follow along this morning. There'll be some things we'll, we'll fill in as we go. But the first one is this. The Bible is from God through human authors for us. It's from God through human authors for us. In fact, here's the Bible's own description of itself. This is 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It reads, All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's divinely inspired. It's breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the Bible, first, it's, it's from God. It's from God himself. He inspired it. Okay, It was, it was breathed out, divinely breathed out by God. He inspired it, but he spoke through the Holy Spirit to human authors who then penned these words. They wrote these things down. And through the years, God protected the process of passing this down from generation to generation to generation to generation. Now it's arrived in our hands. And so we have the word of God from him through human authors to us. Now, Peter, here's what Peter wrote about the scripture. Peter, one of Jesus's closest disciples. He wrote, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter uses an interesting Greek word that, that the word for carried along. Luke, who, who wrote one of the Gospels, one of the biographies of Jesus, Luke used this word in another place for a different purpose. Luke used the word to reference a, a sailing vessel that was carried along by the wind. Okay? So when a, when a vessel is carried along by the, by, its, by the wind, the sails is taken hold of by the wind and it's moved along. Peter uses the same word and he says this is the process of what was happening. Was God was speaking through human authors who were carried along through this outside source. God, through his spirit, was speaking. This didn't just come from man. This is from God. Now, nearly one-third of the books in the whole Bible... There's 66 books in the Bible, but nearly one-third of the books in the Bible are letters. Okay? This is a certain kind of literature. Here's a chart to give you an idea of what's in the Bible. So off to the left you have the Old Testament, 39 books. It's the larger part. So the Old Testament takes up uh, the majority of the Bible. So just to give you some idea, uh, here's where the Old Testament, this is the Old Testament portion up here at the top. This is the New Testament. So it's you've got quite a bit more in the Old Testament. Uh, and this chart shows you the different types of literature, the different genres. So you have, you have law. So the beginning of the Bible, you have the books of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then you have the history. And the history gives you from the book of Joshua all the way through the book of Esther. You get the history of the nation of Israel. And you see about the kings and the conquest of the, the Holy Land. And 
And then you have books of poetry, then you have books of prophecy. Major book, major prophets, minor prophets. That's the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, you have some history, which some would say those are the, the Gospels are uh, biographies of life, the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then after that, you have history again. You have the book of Acts. It's the, the history of the Christian church, the Christian movement. You, you can trace how the gospel moved from, and we looked at this last week, how the gospel went out from Jerusalem and then to the outer regions, eventually to the ends of the earth. And, and so you have the history of the church. But then you have letters. You have Paul's letters to churches, Paul's letters to individuals, and then letters by others. So there's a general letters. Now at the very bottom to the, on the letters by others column, the, the side, the right hand side of the screen at the bottom is the book Revelation. That's not a letter. So this was the best chart I could find without designing our own chart. And so I said, well, we'll just use that chart. We don't need to design our own chart. But just so you know, Revelation is not, it's not, a letter. It's a prophetic book. Now, within the book of Revelation, you have letters written to churches from Jesus, who's evaluating the churches. But essentially, the book itself, Revelation, is a prophetic book, much like the Old Testament prophetic books. Uh, it's speaking of future things. But when you're talking about the New Testament, which is the second part of the Bible, 21 of the 27 books were letters. That's 75% of the New Testament are letters. Pretty interesting to note that uh, because when you think about how you read a letter, it's different reading a letter than reading a history, a book of history or, or a book of law. And so you sort of have to put on your mind, okay, I'm reading a letter. I should think through some things differently when I'm reading a letter. These letters were written by real people who saw the risen Jesus and who were used by God to start churches, to grow churches, and to instruct and give guidance to really help out the first century churches and individual first century Christians. That's, that's what these letters were. Uh, that's both who wrote them and what the purpose was. So, for example, when you, when you hear us talk about the book of Romans, if, we're, if I'm speaking through the book of Romans or referencing a verse from the book of Romans, like Romans 3.23. Romans itself is a, is a book written by Paul, who was a leader in the first century, and he's writing a letter to the first century Christians who were a part of a local church, and they were living in Rome. So Romans is a letter to the church in Rome. Ephesians, for example, would be Paul's letter to the first century Christians living in a town called Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey. And so Paul would write to these Christians living in these different towns throughout Asia Minor and on into Europe. And, and Paul actually wrote 13 of the 21 letters. So if there's 21, so 75% of the books in the New Testament are letters, Paul wrote 13 of the 21 letters that you find. Paul himself was a former persecutor of Christians. We're going to look at one of the letters he wrote this morning. And he, he hated the Christians, and he hated the Christian movement. He was intent on stopping it and doing what he could to snuff it out. But he was radically converted when he saw the risen Jesus. He surrendered his life, he yielded to, to Jesus, and began to follow Christ. And he became the primary pioneer of the Christian movement to get the gospel out, to reach further and further out. Uh, but apart from Paul's letters, you have some other letters. You have general letters, and those uh, we'll, we'll look at Peter, James, and John. Those are three of the guys that wrote some of the general letters. Those were Jesus' closest disciples. Uh, but these letters that they wrote, they were written mostly to the church as a whole. Whereas Paul tended to write to an individual or to a specific church, the general letters were written to the churches, to the first century churches, they would be received, they would be copied, and then they would be circulated to go further and further. And so people would receive these letters and uh, they would try to create wide circulation of, of these. And if you're, if you're normal, like, you know, I'd say we're a pretty normal bunch here. <laughs> then, then this book, the Bible, this collection of 66 books, this unified collection, it can be pretty intimidating. It can be pretty intimidating. So what we want to do is we want to really help, help, learn, help us learn how to navigate this book so we feel more equipped, more prepared to read it for ourselves. 
One of our goals really for this series is that we would gain more of an understanding of the specific people, the situations that they were facing, and then the occasions that prompted these letters. Because there was a reason these letters were written. Just like when I receive a letter, it's, there's some sort of occasion. could be a birthday. It could be a tragedy. It could be, it could be just a season of life. And someone thought, you know, that so-and-so really needs this right now. This is the situation that they're in. And so when you're reading the letters, you're looking for what is that situation? What is that occasion that is going on so that I know what's being addressed? So we want to try to understand those occasions because then from there you can, it's crucial then you look for the takeaways that we can apply to our life and our world today. In fact, when you read the New Testament letters, you realize that the Father is actually speaking to you and me. This, this is what happens. We start reading the Bible, we read the letters, and we go, wow, it's like he's talking to me. I know he's addressing it to the, the church in Philippi, but it's almost like, it's almost like you're, you're almost tempted to just be like, you know what, is it my name on the front? Because when I'm reading this book, to the, you know, the letter to the Philippians, it sure feels like it's written to Josh. That's what happens. You, you, you think, wow, it's like the Father... God the Father is speaking to you and me. And it's strange. It's strange at times of just how strong this internal connection is between the, the Word of God and our lives and these inspired letters. We really can't identify with the challenges, with the, with the situations, with the people themselves. We find ourselves. So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look specifically at the book of the Bible called Philippians. It's the letter, Paul's letter to the Philippians, which is modern-day Greece. Here's a map so you can kind of get a reference point. Paul is writing this from Rome, off to the left there. He's writing to the church in Philippi, modern-day Greece. I want to encourage you, you know, if you have a Bible, uh, flip open to Philippians, or if you, if you have a Bible app, you know, you might pull that out. Again, so you can sort of keep referencing where am I at when I'm reading the Bible. A good Bible app is YouVersion, Y-O-U version. It's a good, it's a free app. You can read the Bible, uh, take it on the go. You can put the audio while you're on walks or runs. You, while you're driving, you can just take in more of God's Word. So first thing I want to do is I want to highlight a few aspects of how to hear God when reading the letters. Okay, and this, I want to lay this out Pretty slowly this morning. We're going to go long today, so just buckle up. We're going to go long. <laughs> because we're going to set up for this whole series this morning, okay? We're going to use Philippians as an example, but then we're going to follow sort of a similar approach as we walk through this whole series as we look at different letters. This morning we'll look at Philippians. But let's highlight, how, how do you hear from God when you're reading the letters? Number one, get curious. Get curious. This will actually, this flow will actually help you as you're reading the Bible in general, but Certainly the letters will we'll zero in on some specifics. For example, who's the author? What's the setting? Who was the recipient? You know, who sent it? Who is it being sent to? And where were those people at? Where was the person at who was writing? Where are the people that are receiving the letter? What's going on at, the, at that point in the world? You want to ask questions about, what do I know about this? I want to get curious. So let's look at it from Philippians 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So you see the authors identified as Paul. He, this is pretty common to see this, where they, they just identify, the author's name identifies himself first. Paul and Timothy. Timothy is with Paul. Paul's the author. Timothy is with him. They describe themselves as servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. So this is written, those are the recipients, the Philippians. Here's some of the other questions you want to ask when you're reading the letters. What was the occasion? What was the situation? What was going on in Philippi? Something's going on in Philippi or something's going on in Paul's life that that a letter needed to be written. What was learned about God? What was learned about people? Like, what do we learn as we read this letter? What are the takeaways for us? What, what principles apply today? And then how do they apply? Those are some good questions to ask. So let's keep reading and see which of these are answered. Verse 3. I thank my God, Paul's saying, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. 
So just think on that line for a moment. When he thinks of them, he thinks God. It's like there's something about this relationship that he has with this church that makes him thankful to God himself. Verse 4, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. Different translation, probably a little uh, more, I'd say, uh, common to our uh, word order and choices would be in NIV, the 84 version of that says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Okay. Always pray with joy. Every time I pray for you, I always pray with joy. Verse 5 says, because of your partnership... Now, this is why he's able to pray with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's basically saying, look, God is doing a work. He's going to complete that work of maturing you when you see him face to face. When the Christians there in Philippi see Jesus face to face, he's going to be done maturing them. But he's doing a good work in them, and Paul's encouraged by what is happening in, in Philippi in their lives. Verse 7, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. So this is a special, you can see the, the closeness of this relationship that Paul has with this church. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So right now we, we can answer a bunch of questions. Paul's the author. He's where? He's in jail. He's in prison. They're partakers. They're, they're partners with him. He's in prison in Rome. He's not just vacationing in Rome. So you might be like, oh, he's in Rome. Okay, that's neat. Oh, he's in prison in Rome? You know, I mean, Rome's a fun destination spot. Not the prison cell. But he's in prison. This is actually one of his prison letters written from Rome around the year 62 A.D. He's writing it to these Christians in Philippi. And what this is, is that it's a thank you letter. You get that from these first four verses, from verse 3 through verse 7. It's a thank you letter. It contains some teaching about Christ, about there's certainly some theology in it. But Philippians is especially focused on gratitude Paul is just really grateful because this church was a church that had sent him resources and gifts during his imprisonment. And so he's saying, thank you. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for remembering me. Because you've remembered me, I hold you in my heart. You've thought about me. You've reached out to me. You've been generous with me. Paul's, Paul's basically, you'd read about it if you read just the the book of Philippians, you see the specifics. We'll, we'll get at some of them. You can also ask other questions like, was this descriptive? When you're reading the letter, you should ask, was this descriptive or prescriptive? Like, is something just being described that is tied to their specific situation and it, it doesn't really apply to, we have to watch how we try to make that apply to our world because it was such a description of a, of a reality that they alone were facing or that Paul was facing? Is it a description of something? Or is this prescriptive for what should be happening here and now and, and universally? And sometimes you read it and you say, ah, this is really a prescription. This, this applies to, to all people everywhere. This is a common thing that we experience as humans, so it's a good question to ask while you're reading it. Is this a description of something that is, really is placed in that time period alone? Or is this prescriptive for future? Who's being referenced? If you hear names and places, you want to think through, what's, what is he talking about? Who are these people? What can I learn about them? Maybe I can research those names from the Bible or from history. Sometimes specific people are mentioned, like here, moving ahead to the next chapter. If you flip to chapter 2, you're going to see why Paul is so thankful. He gets very specific in chapter 2, verse 25. One example of this. He writes this, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. Oh, so we're reading this. We're saying, okay, 
He wants to send this guy Epaphroditus to the Philippians. Paul calls him a brother, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier. Essentially, he's a fellow soldier. He, he's serving Christ. He's, he's following his commanding officer, Jesus. And Paul's like, he's, he's a brother. He's of kindred heart. He's on the same page, on the same team. I want to send him to you. Now you've got to ask the question, why? But then he says this, and your messenger and minister to my need. Oh, Epaphroditus is a man from the Philippian church who actually came to Rome to visit Paul and to bring a gift to Paul from that church. And so that's, that's the identity of this man, Epaphroditus. He was a messenger. He was, a, he was the person that carried this church's gift to encourage Paul who was in prison. Because imagine somebody in our life was, was in a desperate situation like that, and we decide we're going to send a messenger to bring this gift. That's the role that Epaphroditus played. Verse 26 says, For he, speaking of Epaphroditus, For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. So he's homesick. Epaphroditus is a messenger from their church. He's with Paul, but he's homesick and he wants to return because he was ill. Now look at why he was ill. Verse 27. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not, not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. You see, traveling... To Paul, for this man, was a physical and spiritual battle. He nearly died on the journey. As you read more of the story, you see, wow, this messenger almost died bringing this gift to Paul. It was a risky trip. But God had mercy. He didn't let this man, Epaphroditus, die. Paul's relieved. He said, if he'd have died, I would have been just overwhelmed with sorrow. Verse 28 so I'm more the eager, Paul says, I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy. I'm sending him back to you. I can't wait till he gets there. He'll be relieved. You'll be relieved. I'll be relieved. Receive him in the Lord with, with all joy and honor such men. He's like, throw a party when he gets there. Honor him. Why? Verse 30, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Epaphroditus nearly died for, to see the work of Christ move forward because Paul was such a key, influential leader in the, in the movement of Christianity that this wasn't just a visit to any person. This was a, a powerful, a visit to a, a key, influential leader. And what a powerful example. You might not realize this, but the journey from Philippi to Rome wouldn't have been easy. I mean, from, from Greece to northern Italy, or, or you know, central Italy where Rome is, not an easy trip. I mean, we, we don't always stop and, and think about that, but we have Amazon Prime. Get it there next day. We have UPS next day. If my parents are into, my dad's into coffee now, and, and he's like, hey, what's the... What's the latest thing for, for brewing coffee now? Oh, you know, if I want dad, hey, it'll be there tomorrow. It'll be there tomorrow. You know, we can get gifts to people guaranteed, you know, these days. Almost, right? This church takes a huge risk by saying, hey, who's willing to go to Paul and bring our gift to him? And this man, Epaphroditus, says, I'll do it. I mean, a gift. I mean, that's, again, think about what he's doing. He's bringing resources. If you're a bandit, <laughs> you look for people like this, right? And so this is a huge risk, but also it's just a long journey. He gets sick on the way, almost dies. He's willing to take the risk. And so Paul says, this is, a, this is a, something to take note of, guys like this. Now, here are some things. And again, I'm just answering questions about curiosity, who wrote it? What's going on? What's the situation? We're answering some of those questions as we're reading the letters. Now, here's some things. Beyond getting curious, you also want to avoid some things. Avoid these when you're reading the New Testament letters. Number one, a questioning spirit. Avoid a questioning spirit. What is that? Well, a proud and unteachable spirit will block our ability to learn and grow. Sometimes it's like, ah, I've got this all figured out, God. And if we have that attitude, we're not going to learn anything. So a prayer of humility is always a great place to start every time 
you dig into the Bible. Just a prayer of humility. God, you have all the answers. I don't. You, you know all things. I'm limited. You see all things. I'm, I can only see what's right in front of me. So just a prayer of humility is a great place to start. Also, avoid reading into it. It's fine to put yourself in the story and go, man, what, 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 that, what must that have been like to be in prison with Paul? Like if you were Timothy or, or if you were in Philippi, what, what, what would that have been like? It's, it's, it's okay to imagine yourself living in that time, but use caution when you're doing that. What you want to do is you want to try to draw the meaning out of the text from what it's saying. Draw it out of the text rather than reading our current life into it. And just our current reality and culture into it. You want to draw, you want to draw out of the text rather than read into it. Also, you want to avoid assumptions. Assumptions like, oh, I've read that before. I think that's probably one of the most common assumptions is, oh, I already know what that's saying. So we, you see a verse, and if it's a familiar verse, you're like, oh, I, I know that. And the moment you think, I've already, I already know what that's saying, then your mind wanders to something distracting. So in here, Oh, I've already read that verse before. What happens to us in here is, oh, I know that verse. I'm going to tell my friend, let's go catch a movie tonight. <laughs> what time is it playing? Oh, okay, yeah, hold on. I know that one too. Uh, you know, or, hey, what am I going to make tonight? Or what do we need to get? Start doing your grocery list right now because you got some time. You're sitting, you know, and so you don't often sit, you know, so you're, you know, if you got kids, your kids are being cared for right now. And so it's like you got a moment to get some things done. You could do your to-do list. You could... You could prioritize some things. You could schedule your life out. But making assumptions, or when we just read the Bible for ourselves, it's easy to make assumptions. So instead, read it fresh each time with a heart to really listen to God. God, I want to hear from you. I want to, I want to seek you right now. Also, avoid putting God in a box. Like He couldn't do that anymore. The supernatural, the miraculous, those huge things. He couldn't do that anymore. Those things couldn't happen. Be careful, because the faith... That is needed still to believe is the same faith that is required to wait for Jesus to return and wrap up history. I mean, it takes a tremendous amount of faith to believe that all that we see and know that one day God will wrap this all up, time and space, this or you know this earth, and that G- Jesus will return. That takes tremendous faith to believe that. That's supernatural. So you still need faith just to to trust God. So don't put God in a box and say, oh, God couldn't work in the, in the miraculous. God couldn't work. He has to work in these things because this is all we can explain these days. And we've figured it all out. And so just be careful. Another area to avoid is ignoring the whole, the big picture of the Bible. From, from Genesis to Revelation, you see God's grand story of redemption. He's redeeming the people that he's made. He's rescuing them after the fall. He's redeeming them. You see this fall, the creation story, the fall, the redemption. You see cycles as you read the Bible and you see the big picture of what God is doing. And as you read the Bible, you begin to see, wow, I see this huge story. And sometimes we dive into the details and we lose sight of the big picture and we just get too lost in the details. And so you want to be careful that you don't ignore, how does this book, this letter fit into what God's doing on a bigger on the, on the, on the, on the grand scale of things. One final step on hearing God when reading is is to build a bridge to your life. How do we do that? How do we get from the first century to the 21st century? Whenever you read God's word, don't skip past realizing that God, he wants to speak to you through this. For example, Paul's specific words in Philippians 2.29. Let's look again at this just so we can have a specific example. Verse 29, chapter 2. Speaking of Epaphroditus, this messenger from Philippi, Paul writes this, And honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. He took the risk upon himself to deliver what you couldn't all bring together as a group. He took that risk upon himself. Now just think about the legend of this man Epaphroditus. This story has been read by millions, preached on, shared about, encouraged, passed on all these years. This guy's name got his, you know, his name is in this letter it's in the Bible. Here's this ordinary man who takes a risk, nearly dies to encourage and bless and strengthen and resource one of the key leaders of the Christian faith who 
must have been battling with feelings of isolation and loneliness as he's awaiting his death, his trial and death. How many times have people went way out of their way to show you love? I mean, specifically, sacrificing for you. And how often do you take the time to just say, hey, thank you, or write that out? Or honor them. It takes time out of our day to do that, to actually honor people specifically, but it's worth it. Sure, it takes 20 minutes to a stamp and maybe four to five dollars for it to get a greeting card, but actually taking the time to thank someone specifically is, is so enriching both to them and to us. And sometimes the very best way to apply this principle of honoring people who sacrifice is to do that in front of a whole group, to actually encourage someone before a group of people. Sometimes that happens at a celebrations at our church or, or, or small group gatherings. But honoring someone when you have a chance, it's, it's worth it. Sometimes we hold ourselves back and we think, ah, it doesn't seem fair to, that some people would receive honor and recognition above the rest, and so I'm just not going to say anything to, to honor people. But it's actually right to honor people. That's what Paul is saying. Honor such Men, honor people like this, people who risk, who take, who sacrifice to see the kingdom move forward. Now, near the end of Paul's letter, he expresses more of his gratitude for the whole church. Look at chapter 4, verse 14. Again, you see it starts with gratitude and thankfulness, and the, the letter of Philippians ends with gratefulness. 4.14 reads, Yet it was kind of you, now he's talking to the whole church, it was kind of you, Philippians, to share my trouble. And you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel... When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So this wasn't the first time this church had sacrificed to encourage Paul. He's saying, once and again, you're a generous group of people. I'm so grateful for you. I'm so thankful for you. You've been so generous. Verse 17, not that I seek the gift but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I'm so excited to see what God is going to do as he grows more and more fruit in your life and blesses you more and more through your generosity. Verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied. He's like, I'm good. I've received the gift. I'm in good shape. I'm doing well. And we have to pause there for a moment because where is he? He's in prison. This grateful man sitting in prison right now you know, we could pause again and bridge on this point of like, wow, how many times in our circumstances do we lose sight with our attitude? And here's Paul in prison, just grateful heart, concerned about their livelihood. But he, he says, I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. When you give those gifts, Paul is saying to me, it's not to me, it's a sacrifice to God. You're offering those to God himself. Verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Paul's so thankful and he's saying, God is so faithful. He knows your needs. He's so faithful to take care of your needs. So, so as you and I are reading a letter like Philippians written almost 2,000 years ago and copied and copied and copied and copied and you know, circulated, You've never met Paul. You've never met Epaphroditus. You likely never have been, never, never may go to the city of Philippi. The ruins of Philippi, I should say. <laughs> Not going to find a booming city there. But when you're reading this letter, stop and consider what God may be saying to you through his word. What is God saying? We cross the bridge from their world to our world when we start connecting the timeless principles and begin applying what we learn from their world and their situation and apply it to our present day life. Here's a picture of the Golden Gate Bridge. Certainly the most famous bridge in our state. Some would say the most famous bridge even in the world. It takes you from the city of San Francisco proper to Marin County. To get across the bay by car, you have to have a bridge. And in the same way, we need a bridge to, to cross the span of time from the first century, if you're reading the letters, to the 21st century. You need some sort of a bridge. Here's a, here's a great tool 
for bridging application application points. This comes from Rick Warren, a pastor in Orange County. He wrote this years ago, this acrostic space. This is how you can this is how you can apply what you've read in the Bible to your life. S P A C E. The S stands for sin to confess. So as you're reading the Bible, you can ask yourself, did God bring any sin to my mind that I need to confess to him? If so, would you just do it. When you're when you're alone with God, cuz we're really talking about how do I read the letters? My hope is that you would take this home with you and that you'd, you'd, you'd work through God's word over time. But as you're reading, you can say, God, is, is there anything that I've done to offend you? Is there a sin I need to confess, big or small? Planned or, oops, I didn't even realize it, but I did that. You know there's different ways we sin, right? Sinning creates sort of an experience in us where we we clog up the fellowship. If you're in Christ, if you're a Christ follower, you're still in Christ after you sin, but it, it blocks our fellowship. It's sort of like you get a, a bad connection. And so you're, it's, it, it, we feel like, oh, there's something off now. Well, it's because God is probably through his spirit reminding you of the sin, the pattern or the instance. And so to confess sin means that you say the same thing that God says. The Greek word is homo legeo. It means to say the same to say the same thing. It's essentially, God says, this is sin. I'm agreeing. If he says lying is a sin, you call lying a sin, God, I'm agreeing with you. I lied. You call that a sin. I'm agreeing. I sinned. I was wrong. Would you forgive me? Just call it what it is. And then, I agree with him. I confess it. And I say, God, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for your sacrifice. You, you, you paid the price already for that. I received that forgiveness. It restores the fellowship. The relationship wasn't destroyed, but the fellowship was blocked. And so confessing sin is really important. Oftentimes it's when we're reading the scripture where God just, you see something and you go, wow, God, that's, that's for me right now, today. Or P in space. The P stands for promise to claim. Is there a promise to claim? Sometimes you read a verse and it, it reads like a promise, like Philippians 4.19. Paul writes this, and this is a promise, and my God. He says, look, thank you for your giving. Thank you for your generosity. I've received it. I'm doing good. You know, and that was a sacrifice. But you know what I know? My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He has unlimited supply. He's going to take care of all your needs. This is a promise for those who are in Christ Jesus. He meets all of our needs. You, you might find this over and over and over that you see God meets our needs. And so when reading, I might... Just recognize, I can take a stand in my mind on this promise that I've read. God, I know you'll meet all of my needs. That's different from all my wants. But God, all that I need, you'll provide. So thank you. That helps me battle anxiety and worry and fear. Thank you for this promise. I'm just going to stand on that promise. Or the A in space stands for, is there an attitude to change? As you're reading, you might recognize, oh, I have a bad attitude. Sometimes you, you recognize it because you read about people with a good attitude. Or you recognize people with a bad attitude in the Bible. And you can identify. But bad attitudes are pretty frequent for, for, for all of us, aren't they? Our mental focus shifts constantly throughout the day. And sometimes we start seeing a pattern that just needs to change. And it's time in God's word that causes us to see the bad attitude. Or to see the specific attitude that I'm needing to change. When I'm reading Paul's letter... To the Philippians from jail, I think, wow, here's this guy in prison, thankful for visitors, thankful for resources, thankful for those that wrote letters, gave gifts, thankful for friendship, thankful for prayer. And despite all of his circumstances, he's got a great attitude. But our keeping our own attitude on track is just critical. It's so tough to do. And that sometimes is the application point that God wants us to make when we're reading the Bible. Just a shift in attitude, a change in attitude. Maybe from complaining to gratitude. Because you can picture yourself in the story and say, what would I be doing in that prison cell? The C stands for command to obey. Sometimes you read statements in Scripture that are, that are more like advice, more like wise suggestions for practical living, wisdom. But then sometimes you read and you're like, that's a command. 
That, that doesn't seem optional for a Christ follower. For example, Philippians 2.14. Look at Philippians 2.14. It's not up on the screen, but it, it says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Is that, is that a wise suggestion or a command? It's a command. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. It goes on that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. You're going to stand out if you live your life without disputing, grumbling. This whole world is pretty dark, but when you see a bright light like that, it just stands out. It's remarkable around the rest of what we see. So Paul's saying, live like that, but this do, you know, <laughs> do all things without this. Get rid of that. This is sort of command language. Sometimes you're reading and it's clear. This is a directive. God's speaking to me. The Father's speaking to me through this. That's for you, Josh. You're about to head into a rough day. Do that without disputing, complaining, grumbling. Do it now. Yep, I hear you, God. I hear you. You treat the commands different than the suggestions. Now, here's the last thing is the E stands for example to follow. Sometimes there's a positive example to copy, and you just see, wow, I want to be like that Epaphroditus, the one who'd say, hey, I'll take the risk. I'll be the one to step forward. If someone needs to make a sacrifice, I want to do that. I want to be that kind of person. Or maybe it's a negative example that you just know, I need to avoid that example. I don't want to be like that person. He talks about a a couple of ladies that are in conflict, and he, he just tells them, tell them to get it together. Tell them to agree with each other. <laughs> I don't want to be like them. They were, their names are written down forever as the conflict, you know, a source of conflict in the church. I don't want to be that person. That's, a, that's an example I want to avoid. So as we read the scripture, we're asking questions and we're, we're, we're letting God speak to us because it's from him through human authors to us. He's intending for us to change. Near the bottom of the, of the listening guide, We've listed some resources. So here's a couple resources to help with this bridging. The first is a study Bible. The ESV study Bible is, is a helpful study Bible. It provides background, like the purpose, the setting, the context. It, it comes up at the beginning of the book that you're reading and it answers most of the questions you'd want to ask. Okay? Uh, here's a page from the intro to Philippians from that ESV study Bible, just to give you an example of what's in it. There's insights on that first page about the meaning of certain verses and, and passages as you get into each book. And then here's, a, here's Philippians chapter 1. At the top you see the text. That's Philippians 1. It looks like 1, 1 through maybe 6 or something. But then at the bottom there's all of these comments and insights to help you navigate through that passage. So this is a helpful tool. Uh, you can find one of these for about 23 bucks on Amazon. Another helpful resource, one that we like to, to promote, is the Bare Bones Bible Handbook. And it's the tagline for this is it's 10 minutes to understanding each book of the Bible. Pretty helpful. Again, this helps you get not lost in the details, but see sort of the big picture of the book of the Bible, and then how does that fit into the whole story of the Bible. $10 on Amazon. We make no commission from Amazon. <laughs> Actually, we might. I think we do have a smile page, smile Smile Amazon, so I should be honest about that. But it wasn't a pitch for, for that. So <laughs> buy them wherever you like to buy your books. Okay, there you go. <laughs> but resources greatly help. But the key is reading the scripture for yourself. The resources are great. Those are helpful tools. But, but the key is to get into this for yourself. It will change your life if you do. It will change your life. No one can do this for us individually, we have an opportunity. If you read it prayerfully and humbly, and you bridge from from their world to our world, specifically to your life, it will change your life. Here are some next steps to consider. Number one, dig into the Bible this week. You might take some time to read more in Philippians. Maybe go through the book of Philippians. There's four chapters. You can read it. You know, you can read a chapter, you know, through this week. You can get through the whole thing. It's not a long book to read. I timed myself reading it. It takes three to four minutes to read a chapter of Philippians. Each chapter about three to four minutes. So for the four chapters, around 15 minutes, and I'm not a fast reader. And so 15 minutes can get you all the way through it. Or if you want, read next week's 
Uh, we're going to be looking at Galatians next week. So you can read the book of Galatians. That will prepare you for what we're going to be looking at next Sunday. So the, the letter, Paul's letter, uh, Galatians. It's in the New Testament. Second would be buy a resource to help. You pick up one of those resources at some point. Third would be come back for the rest of this uh, series of messages. So we'd love to see you as we keep um, looking at the New Testament letters. These past few months have been like a culmination of, of faith steps. Today we're calling Celebration Sunday, hence the iced coffee that was out there and the iced lattes, and I hope you got one of those. Uh, but these last few months really have been like a culmination of faith steps for us. And this stuff began for us as a church way back in 2017. It was at that point a few years ago when many of you began giving towards the future home of OCC as we opened up what we called the Building and Expansion Fund in 2017. And so there was giving that started in 2017. And then in 2018, we had a two-month initiative called PrEP. And many people joined in that effort called PrEP. Meanwhile, some people just kept giving above and beyond their normal giving to our building and expansion fund, really in faith that God was going to provide the right opportunity in time. And then in July, this last July, July 2019, we entered escrow on a, on a property and we sprinted as a church, did a down payment dash, and now we own this piece of land. It's been really exciting for, for our church to see that the deal closed and the property is ours. There's, there's 5.3 acres centrally located here in Riverside, our future home, a couple of buildings on it. Then we didn't even really take a breath from that. After, right immediately after the down payment dash, we launched into something called Advanced Horizontal, and it was a 24-month capital campaign, and it, it was focused on laying up resources for the future development of this of the church, of our church home. And now as we look at it all, it's been really amazing to see what God can do through a group of people committed to walk in faith and courage together. And so we've added it all up so that we could just celebrate what God has done for all the effort, because we really look at this as a huge effort over a few years now, and uh, both short-term, long-term, marathon, sprint, high jump, pole vault, all of the metaphors we've used uh, we just want to show you what the total amount of giving and pledges totals up to. And so drum roll, please. Um, and I'm going to talk through your drum roll, roll. So the number we're going to show you, your hands are going to get tired too. The number we're going to show you is above and beyond what normally comes in for our normal offering on Sundays. Our norm, this is above and beyond all of that. And this really is an extraordinary result from us as a group. And so this is the total amount Given and pledged. Here it is. Drum roll louder. Whoa. It's pretty awesome. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Consultants that we've been working with on this stuff have said, guys, that is a miracle for a church your size your age and stage. Our church is 12 years old. That's a miracle, they've said, for your church. And you should be really thrilled. And so uh, this is the breakdown of, of how that... This is 889000 cash given. And now there was more pledged, but the pledge is going down because on Commitment Sunday, a lot of people gave from their pledges as well. So we did have 24-month pledges um, that was significantly more, but now it's going the other direction as, as resources are coming in. But all of that totals $1.4 million. It's pretty amazing. Just under $1.5 million has come in above and beyond our regular giving here. Praise the Lord. We're so excited. This was not just one individual. There was, uh, we'll probably over time, you know, see how many individual giving units this was, but we're just so excited about what God has done. And so others are celebrating with us. And so here's a video uh, to all of us here, just of some of our partner churches who are encouraged and want to encourage us as well. Way to go, OCC. We are celebrating with you here at Church in the Valley. We are very excited that the Lord has provided so much toward your building campaign. want to commend you and it's been great to just have a small part in helping you get to the point you are. 
Hey, OCC, just want to let you know how excited we are to see all that God is doing among you guys. And we really celebrate with you today the hand of God. And we celebrate not just today, but all that God's going to continue to do as he expands his kingdom through OCC. Hey, OCC, on behalf of the Grove Church here in Kansas City, Missouri, just want to tell you that your faith in the Lord and your faithfulness to his mission is inspiring to us. Uh, We're so grateful for the work God is doing in and through you and want to let you know how happy we are for you. Congratulations. Enjoy your day. Hello, OCC. I am very excited to be saying congratulations to you today. I love what you're doing, what's happening, and God's going to do some amazing things with you. Congratulations on your new step, your next step, and I look forward to what happens in these next years. Hey, OCC. I want to say congratulations from Fort Worth, Texas and Hope Church. We're so excited and so encouraged by what you have done together in a short amount of time, and we are just so excited and thrilled for you. And look forward to see all the things that God is going to do in you and through you as you move into this next phase and look forward to having a permanent location. Hey, OCC. This is Bevan, pastor at Seabreeze Church in Huntington Beach. It's been great to, to just see the amazing opportunity that God has provided for you guys out there in Riverside. Uh, and then to see how you've responded uh, in faith and sacrifice to take advantage and seize the opportunity. So today we just rejoice with you and celebrate. So congratulations. Congratulations, Orange Crest. I got the word about you raising the money that you have. And I am really excited. This is Harold Bullock at Hope Church in Fort Worth. And our hearts are with you. We are really excited for you guys. You may know some of those pastors. Those are when Paul describes the partners in his ministry and Philippian partnership. That for me, this is these are some of our dear, dear partners, and and so they've been praying. Uh, many of them in their churches sent gifts our way and helped with our down payment dash. Several of them uh, sent timely gifts just to help us get over that um, bar. And so uh, they celebrate this with us. And so uh, we also wanted to mark this celebration in another special way today. We brought a bench uh, that has been on the property for many decades. And here's a picture of the bench. And it's been restored. And it's it's been restored a little bit. It's been planed down and the life has come back to the wood because it's been out in the weather for probably many years. And But we're going to save this bench, and we'd like to ask you to sign it. And just if you'd put your last name on the bench. It's sitting back there by the advance uh, banner, and people from the first service began to sign. We would just like just the last name of your family, and it just for us it will mark in history uh, those who are a part of this effort and those who are a part of this church uh, when we move forward together and advance towards things together in faith. Uh, it's symbolic also the fact that we've had a front row seat in watching God work, but not just watching. We actually stepped into the action, and he's allowed us to really work together and be used. And so what a joy it's been. Uh, if, you, if you want, on your way out, write your uh, last name on that, and we would love to. We'll put that in the property at some point in a building so that people can enjoy it. It's actually pretty comfortable. You can check it out. You can sit on it if you like. <laughs> and uh, it's... It's got some good character to it. And so uh, we're going to have it available for the next several weeks. And so if you don't get a chance to sign it today, you can sign it sometime soon. And so let's pray together. Father, thank you for uh, your great kindness to us. And and thank you for your word. God, thank you for speaking through it, how we hear from you as we read it. Lord, help us to better understand it. Help us to know you as as we read it. Help us to approach your word um, as it is holy. Help us to approach you with um, uh, just a hunger to know you more, a desire to understand uh, how you work. Uh, Help us, Father, to uh, take some of the things we've looked at this morning and then work it more into our lives and our reality, our present-day situations. Uh, Father, we pray that even this morning as we've looked at a few passages focused on, on gratitude and perspective and attitude and then honoring people. Lord, I pray that maybe there would be some takeaways that we would uh, allow to uh, stir our hearts towards application, even this week and even today, God. Uh, bless each person here. Thank you for taking good care of us, Lord. 
Uh, we, we just uh, we know how dependent we are on you and how you hold us together, God, uh, through your great care and through your love. And we sense that and we experience that in very real ways. And so we honor you, Lord God. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to God's word. Join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast.